0: phone notebook Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, November 10th. We begin with an ambitious Remembrance Day project created by and run by Calgary Seniors. We hear details on how the residents of Silvera senior community have knitted and crocheted over 1,500 poppies to pay tribute to Canada's war veterans.
1: Then we learn about a new Canadian original documentary that shines the spotlight on the untold stories of Black and Caribbean soldiers who served our nation during the Second World War. We meet Adrian Callender, writer and director of Black Liberal.
0: Operators World War II. COVID-19 vaccinations for children aged 5 to 11 will soon be available in Canada. We speak with a doctor from the Canadian Institutes for Health Research for some tips parents can use to help their children through the vaccination process, which can be a frightening and stressful experience for many kids.
1: And finally, November is Financial Literacy Month. We speak with Bruce Sellery, CEO of Credit Canada, who explains the difference between clearing your debt and managing it and why he believes that's the key to lowering stress surrounding our personal finances. This is pretty special ahead of Remembrance Day tomorrow. The residents of Silvera's Shouldice community are displaying 1,500 knitted and crocheted poppies to pay tribute to veterans this Remembrance Day. With some more details on exactly what they're doing and, and where we can all see it, we're speaking this morning with Gerald Roberts, Silvera for Seniors community manager and a Silvera Shouldice resident. Good morning, Gerald.
2: Good morning. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank
1: you for joining us. Appreciated. I love this. I think it's fantastic that the seniors are, are getting together to do something to to pay their own respects. So tell us what this is going to look like. All these beautiful knitted poppies.
2: Yes. So last year we we did a process before I joined the company, and it was um, on the back of Aspen on the fence facing memorial, but the majority of the poppies were created by uh, my residents. And so they sent that over. And and I'm a veteran myself, so
3: um, with
2: Afghanistan being part of the news so prominently this year, we decided to do an extra uh, 158 poppies for Afghanistan for all the servicemen and women that didn't make it back. And one of our residents came to me and and spoke to me about the animals, you know, the dogs that don't make it back. So we also did little crosses with purple poppies on for all the service dogs that make it back. So it's actually against our fence on the west side of the building, and uh, we've got there's 55 flags that represent all the residents. So some of the residents put them in themselves. Some of them, you know, they're not very stable on the on the grass, so to speak. So we put them in for them. And um, there's a cross. There's a uh, poppy, cascading poppies with a projector um, that cascades over the the display, and, you know, we've, we've had loads of local uh, residents come round and thank us for doing it, and, you know, the residents really bought into the process, and, you know, some of the residents came out and helped us put the, the display up, and Phyllis uh, Whitten, who was one of our residents, she actually crocheted all 158 poppies. Wow. So just just an amazing, you know, display, and it makes me proud to be a veteran.
0: And what's interesting, Gerald, is, you know, a lot of people have skills in this area of, you know, knitting and crocheting. But I'm wondering, did every resident have these skills? Did some learn, or did the others just help out in any way they can, not being able to crochet or knit the poppies?
2: Yeah, so we have, predominantly we have about five really, really dominant knitters. Um, They've done many projects. This is just one of many. They've done apps for homeless people. They've done uh, apps and little booties for prenatal children at the uh, the prenatal ward. Um, And then we've had residents that, you know, they, they just want to be involved. And they've helped us put it up. They've helped us, you know, organize other things, especially this project. A lot of interest on this project. And, you know, everybody wants to be involved we're actually running Remembrance Day from our site. So we're going to televise it over our AV cart to the other site so they can follow along. So, you know, they're all super excited. We had our last meeting yesterday and read through the process and the service, you know, to get the timing right. And everybody was so excited. So it's something to really look forward to tomorrow, you know, on a summer note. But mm-hmm. I think they come from a generation that, you know, they have that buy-in that remembrance is so prominent in their lives.
1: Absolutely. It's a beautiful way to pay their respects, and we appreciate you joining us. Thank you for your service, and thank you very much for sharing about the poppies. Uh, and it, the, We can see them at the Shoald Ice community location, right?
2: Yes, okay. on the west side of the building.
1: Okay, so. perfect. So we'll tell people that's at 4730 19th Ave in the northwest. Thank you so much, Gerald. Appreciate your thank time this morning.
2: You too. Have a good day. Thank
1: you. Bye-bye. Gerald Roberts is a Silvera for Seniors community manager and a resident.
0: History Channel is releasing a new film tomorrow. It's called Black Liberators World War II, which explores the untold stories of black Canadian and Caribbean soldiers and allies who served in the Canadian Army during World War II. We have the pleasure this morning of chatting with writer and director Adrian Callender. Good morning to you, Adrian.
3: Hey. Good morning. Good morning. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. Now, your, your film, Adrian, sheds light on the importance, but almost forgotten efforts of Black soldiers. Why was this an important story for you to tell?
3: Well, you know, I mean, to me, this is uh, this is it's pretty simple. This is a story of seven Canadians, seven Black Canadians who who answered when Canada called. You know, um, they volunteered uh, the seven folks in this film, um, and. They uh, are fascinating men and women. Um, they all struggled, I think, with discrimination and racism in their daily lives. Um, but regardless of that conflict you know, that they held inside of them um, about the way they were treated in Canada, they still went off to war uh, to defend Canada and, and to defend the world against Nazism.
1: Adrian, I think that's really the thing that struck me about this too is that these soldiers would obviously have faced racism and prejudice them, the prejudice themselves, and yet that's what they stood up to exactly fight in the war.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's really uh, quite an amazing thing. I mean, obviously it was, uh, you know, such a different time, um, so different from ours, and in some ways, unfortunately, very similar. Um, but you know, the late. 30s, uh, going into the war, would have been a really tough time uh, in, to find a job in Canada because uh, the country was still reeling from the effects of the Great Depression, and being a young black person at that time um, made it that much more difficult to find uh, to find work, um, and so there was this feeling of being discriminated against, being left out. Um, but then along comes the war, and Canada is asking its young men to go out and serve. Uh, and regardless of that, um, that feeling, they they did. You know, um, the experience they had in war, as you can imagine, very brutal. Um, um, but. In many ways, it changed them as men. They came back with a renewed sense of confidence, I think.
0: Black Liberators, World War Two premiering tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Calgary time on History. And I'm wondering, Adrian, tell us about the process as far as how did you, you know, do your research enough to decide that these are the seven folks that we want to focus on, and was it tough to find these stories and, uh, you know, uncover the, the real history and, and uh, their experience?
3: The story itself uh, came to us Uh, through some uh, background research, and uh, we encountered the Facebook page of a a woman named Kathy Grant, and she runs this Facebook page called the Black Canadian Veterans Stories. Uh, She herself is the daughter of a uh, Black Canadian vet, and she had been collecting a number of interviews, uh, like shooting interviews, um, with Black Canadian vets essentially, you know, later in life before they passed on just to hold these stories. And uh, we met with her uh, and she gave us access to this incredible treasure trove of stories. And I went through it with my associate producer and found, I thought, you know, like some of the best, most compelling of the, the stories from, from uh, these soldiers. Uh, and to me, the fascinating thing is just listening to them, talk about their experience in their own voice you know like this film is very much about their experience told by them as seen by them
1: well i think it sounds i've seen a little bit of it it looks fantastic i mean the footage is is spectacular it's a wonderful thing that you're telling this story we thank you so much for joining us this morning adrian appreciate your time
3: thank you very much sue and thank you andy
1: Adrian Callender is the writer and director and just looking at the Facebook page for History Channel, obviously the film itself called Black Liberators World War II, a new documentary detailing the experiences and courage of black Canadians during the Second World War. Now, it shows that it's at 9 o'clock Eastern, which would be 7 o'clock Calgary time. You can also get it on Stack TV or on History Channel.
0: Needles can be traumatizing for many kids and with the COVID vaccine soon to be available for children 5 to 11, our next guest has tips and strategies for parents to help prepare their children and comfort them through the vaccination experience. Dr. Christine Chambers is the Scientific Director for Canadian Institutes for Health Research Institute of Human Development and she joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Chambers. Good morning. Good morning. Well, you know, it comes up with COVID and this availability for the vaccine for ages five to eleven coming soon. But I think that these tips can be universal when it comes to inoculations for our kids. So, what what can we do as parents to make it easier on them?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. I mean, there is tons of research to support how to breast best prepare kids for needles vaccinations and the tips apply to the upcoming covid vaccination as well as flu shots so uh, there's a lot that parents can do and we generally think about the things that parents can do before a needle um, during a needle and after a needle so before a needle parents can just be honest about um, you know there's a procedure coming sometimes parents have a hard time um, you know uh, admitting to their children that they're going to have to need this needle and so that can be really tricky.
1: I think you're right that is key, right? It's it's prepping them by being honest because they, they may not know what's coming but they'll know when it happens. So you might as well prep them up appropriately and really explain exactly what it is, what it might feel like, that sort of thing, right? Don't no no sense trying to trick them.
4: Yeah, it's a great education opportunity. And obviously the language you use and how much information you share and when depends on the age of the child. But it's a great opportunity to talk about how vaccines are there to keep us healthy and to keep other people healthy. And, um, you know, if you're not honest with your kids when it comes time to have a needle, then they won't trust you when it comes to other uh, medical situations or other information. So that honesty and the opportunity to educate are really important.
0: All right. So I'm wondering, and uh, strategy wise, Dr. Chambers, we want to, you know, give them the heads up. We want to share information with them. But uh, and I'm, I might this might be a loaded question. How soon ahead of the vaccination do we let our kids know about it? Because I know some can be worriers if you say, hey, next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to say, hey, where are we going, mom and dad? We're going to get your vaccination. How do we find that sweet spot?
4: Yeah, and that's a really tricky one for parents to navigate, and it really depends on the age of the child and also what kind of temperament they have. So if your child is a worrier, um, then, you know, telling them a week beforehand may just kind of create more anxiety um, and perhaps a day beforehand or two days beforehand might be appropriate but some children really like to plan ahead uh, and so that's really something that parents need to kind of gauge and i always just recommend to parents to ask their children to say you know when would you like me to tell you uh, that we have to have a vaccination kids are actually um, really great at providing parents with that kind of feedback
1: I can uh, add a tip to your list as well, Doctor, and this is uh, from my own experience this time around taking my kids for their COVID shot, is that I have two, and one got theirs done and then stood and watched the other one getting their shot and we had a little incident. So I, I would suggest too that, you know, maybe you, you, once one is done, you kind of occupy the other one because I don't know that watching each other is a good idea too because that can be quite stressful as well on them.
4: Yeah, you you raise a really good point. There can be kind of almost a contagion of anxiety. um, And I have four kids myself, so I have to give a lot of thought to who goes first and what the other ones do. And that you raise a really important point about distraction. Um, Distraction is one of the key strategies that research has found really helps to reduce pain and fear during vaccination. So I often recommend to parents that, you know, they make sure they bring their iPhone, have a new movie or some sort of novel app on their phone that their kids can engage with while they're having the needle. So distraction really works as does, you know, encouraging kids to relax, take deep breaths, um, you know, really try to relax their body. Again, research shows that that makes the needle hurt less.
0: I've used distraction my entire life, Dr. Chambers, to get through things, but that's uh, a different story. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, post-vaccination, nobody wants to see their children in, in pain or discomfort. And, and you know, for the most part, it doesn't happen, as we all know, who've uh, those folks who've had vaccinations. But in the case they are a little uncomfortable, what should we do and what should we have on hand to, to maybe combat some of that discomfort after the shot?
4: Yeah, so uh, a lot of parents uh, will administer Tylenol or something after the needle. And it's really important actually that parents not do that before the vaccination. Um, So there's uh, been research to show that administering something like acetaminophen before a vaccination could interfere with the efficacy of the vaccine. Um, The kinds of things you can do after, and it's really important for the COVID vaccine where you know you have to take them back for a second dose, right? So you really wanna talk with your child about what went well, give them a lot of praise, ask what you could have done to make it more positive for them or reflect on that um, and really create a lot of um, positivity around the experience so that you're setting them up for success. Uh, Research has shown that what kids remember and the kind of feelings that they walk away from with that needle, that first needle can impact how they approach and how Mm. much pain they have the second time around.
1: So very true. Great, great points. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Hopefully that helps a lot of parents or grandparents out there. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Christine Chambers, Scientific Director for Canadian Institutes of Health Research. In our case, it was interesting to my, my son, who's mm-hmm. the younger of the two at 12, was super amped up about the whole thing and very nervous about getting a shot. So we did it first for yeah. him. Got it out of the way. Why not? Moved him out of the room. My daughter sat down. And I think it was, you know, the <sighs> relief for him. But then he watched... And he watched really (laughs) carefully the needle going going in. It wasn't anything other, it wasn't her reaction, because she was fine. I think he, I know, he told me later, he was really focused on the needle, watching it go right in her arm, and boom, down he went. We ended up, thank goodness, we were actually in a doctor's office as well. And they were there, helped out really quickly, and we ended up calling, they called an ambulance for him. So just be prepared, right? And it was also early in the morning. They hadn't eaten because they were nervous. So there are things you can do. Make sure the kids have had, you know, a juice and and a little bit of food in their tummy. And I don't think there's any need for them to sit and watch their other sibling get the needle because it's just, that's just an added issue.
0: It is. But a lot of times if you're there alone, there's no option, you know, and depending on the age of the children. Give them your phone, distract them for a minute maybe, right? The distraction is key. And I feel like the system didn't dupe my kids, but what had happened for us was with the flu shots, which they had, there was an option uh, probably about four or five years ago that you could have the nasal version. Yes, yeah, yeah. Version. And so they hated the shot, and I found out about this, and they went, and they said, this is the greatest, because they understand the importance of vaccinations. Mm-hmm. We all want to stay healthy. We want to do our part to protect our friends, family, neighbors, and, and you know, coworkers or, or school classmates. Um, so we went a couple of times. It was great. And then we went another time, and they were on short supply or something. They so said, we don't have the nasal spray mm-hmm. fluid. And then, oh, you know, because they got super comfortable with that. But now that they're teens, they still don't. But now they've taken
1: the nasal spray away entirely. I know. There's no such thing.
0: And it was, you know, they they talk of maybe having one of those when it comes to COVID-19. Because as we hear, we've heard the term endemic, we'll probably have to get a shot, just like a flu shot. Every year, the nasal
1: I mean, spray you know. was brilliant. If they could just do all of them that yeah, way, everything it'd be so much more
0: simple, wouldn't it, would. it? And yeah, you know, and I, I think I rather would rather have the shot because I think having something blown up my nose, <laughs> I'd be sneezing for about a month. You've seen me <laughs> sometimes I get dusty brains and I'm sneezing like That's crazy.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. You know, whatever works. But you think about it ahead of time. And I really do agree with the doctor. It's important to be honest with the kids. Tell them what's what's coming because there's nothing worse. Than that freaking them out by saying, and surprise,
0: yeah. and I think that's not going to work. Having some kind of a plan or strategy will yeah. serve you as a parent. November is financial literacy month, and we're lucky to have Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada, joining us each week to discuss financial literacy on our program. Today, we're focusing on managing debt. Good morning to you, Bruce. Lucky? Really? We're <laughs> really? Lucky, lucky? I don't know. <laughs> Gives how we
5: decide in about seven minutes? <laughs> well, you know, give, lucky
0: give you fair. some insight to how our lives are going if uh, <laughs> the highlight is... T- I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's interesting to me, Bruce, uh, that you're using the word uh, not, uh, managing and not eliminating when we yeah. talk about it this week. So can we assume you've purposely chose the
5: word managing and not eliminating? I have purposely chosen the word managing, and that is because... For most human beings, grown-ups at least, debt is something that they are going to carry over the course of their lives. And for, for most families, that's going to be a mortgage. For other families, it's going to be a mortgage plus a car loan. For some families, it's going to be credit card debt and it's going to be a lot of credit card debt over time. So sure, I would love it if I could snap my fingers and have every single adult live their life debt-free. It's not realistic. Mm-hmm. So what's realistic is we're going to need to manage that debt and there's lots of strategies. There's different kinds of debt. There's different times in our lives in which we uh, experience a higher debt burden. But I think managing is a good work.
1: Bruce, is there a good and a bad debt? Is that part of the key of knowing you know, how to manage and control things?
5: no. And this is one of the biggest myths and misconceptions and disempowering paradigms I think we have in this world. It gets people into trouble. It adds a morality that is not helpful or required. So how it's typically used is, oh, good debt is a mortgage or something you borrow to make an investment and bad debt is a high interest credit card. Not necessarily so, because I'm sure, you know, people who did the air quotes right thing and got into a hefty mortgage before the downturn. They lost their job. Mm -hmm. They can't carry that. They can't carry that mortgage anymore. So they're thinking, wait a second, everybody said this was good debt. It's now not good debt. So let's talk about it in a different way. Let's talk about it as low interest debt and high interest debt. And then we can think about it differently because there's a whole set of assumptions around a mortgage. It's a place to live. It's a forced savings plan all good. That makes that be uh, appropriate and good financial planning. And then there is high interest debt, not just credit card debt, but you know payday loans or alternative lenders and all those sorts of things. And in some circumstances, that debt is the right thing to do. You got to do it and you're going to do it. And it may not feel good, but let's not add morality to it.
0: Do you think, uh, Bruce, to a certain extent, you're focusing on adults, which makes sense, but do you think that we've been looped in or roped into this as young adults when when you, we hear from our parents and and maybe from the media or from learning that we have to have a credit card because we have to build yeah. credit, we have to have some yeah. kind of a history. Is is that where, you know, problems can begin?
5: Uh so the notion that we need to build a credit score is accurate. The how we do that responsibly is what we need to discuss. So, why do we need a credit card? Because for most people, they're going to want to buy a house, they're going to want to buy a car, they're going to want to have a credit card so they can shop online. You know, I think overly simplified, Mm -hmm. that is the path for most people in this cashless society. What we don't do a great job of is instructing people on how to do it right. So, giving the training wheels of a credit card low limit, you know, make sure that you pay it off in full every single month before that limit creeps up and you realize, oh my God, I could order my food to come to my house. I did. I never order skip the dishes. I was with my mom. I ordered skip the dishes. It was magic. The food (laughs) showed up in my house. It's like the devil though, isn't it? It's like the devil. So, of course, I took the app off my phone because I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> so I think the skill is in, uh, again, managing debt in managing those credit cards, because that's the way it is. I have an almost 12 year old. She doesn't like we we do the allowance with physical cash. But the reality is for her generation that they will just simply not use physical cash. Mm-hmm. And given that it's cashless, we've got to teach them how to work in that world.
1: Well, maybe we can do a segment on that because I would love, I have a kid who, when he's got a buck in his hand, it flows through like water. So maybe (laughs) we can do a whole segment on that. But, you know, looking at interest rates right now, they're very low for us. So, you know, borrowing might not be such a scary thing, but there's talk of rising interest rates. So
5: what's your concern around that? I think we need to, in particular on home prices, because that's where we feel it, right? on The, the credit card interest rates are always egregious, mm-hmm. whether interest rates are high or low. But when you think about a home, you have to think 25 years into the future, which is virtually impossible. But as you're having the conversation with the lender, take the case that rates aren't, you know, 2% or 3%. They're 5 They're seven because over the fullness of time, that's where interest rates typically sit. It's not like they're going to go that way tomorrow or even five years, but maybe in 10 and you're carrying that mortgage for 25. So you just want to be thinking about, okay, what happens? So when I go to renew my mortgage in five years, if a rate isn't 2%, if it's five or four, what does that look like to my cash flow, my ability to get groceries, to save for my kids' education, to go on the occasional vacation, to replace my new-to-you car every decade? Like, how does that full picture uh, come together as rates rise. And it's horrifying to look at what the benchmark is for what we can afford, because it's basically, you know, a a laneway house in, you know, Cochrane or something. (laughs) It's just a teeny tiny little place that we wouldn't want to live in. But um, that's the reality that we have today.
0: So it's interesting because you uh, say, we're going to live with this dead juggle it, carry it, manage it. Uh, But uh, there could be a point where we get, out of hand when it when it comes to covering our bills and our debt. So, how can we tell if our debt is is out of hand and we
5: need help or we need to look at really doing a different strategy? I have two questions that I would ask. It's kind of like the emergency room doctor in triage, you know, they like check your heart rate and they see if there's visible signs of blood cascading down <laughs> your face. It's like, I actually think we might want to admit you because there's a 4-inch gash on your cheek. I think so. Uh, it's not a band-aid situation. So two questions. One is are you late? Are you late to your payments? Because some people can actually, you know, stay on top of it. It's brutal. They're only paying the minimum payments. But the first is if you are late, Uh, then you need to pick up the phone and call a nonprofit credit counselor, either us, money mentors, whoever you call, nonprofit credit counselor. Second question is, is this keeping you up? Is this costing you stress? Because some people really lose sleep over a, a relatively small amount. Other people are like... They're carrying 20 grand on their credit card and they're like, oh, hang it's the best leave ever. Let's watch another horror film and go to bed. <laughs> they They don't feel it in the same way. And so if this is causing you stress, that is the second thing that I would say. Pick up the phone. You don't need to deal with that. Why deal with that? Don't deal with that.
1: And you've given us a link so maybe we can share with our listeners to a, a portal where people can go to understand where they're at, how to manage their debt, some helpful tips and hints. So is yeah. that a good place to go? Should we be looking at online stuff to, to try and help us get through this mess?
5: There is so much online stuff. So I'm going to give you two URLs. One is the FCAC, the uh, and I'd Google it because the URL is a little verbose. Uh, but FCAC, Financial Literacy Month, they have tons of things and they have uh, a whole section on managing debt, including a whole thing on what to do if you get a call from a collection agency, which is super helpful. But the other URL I'd give you is creditcanada.com slash FLM slash FLM. I'm doing an event next week. We're going to talk about making your debt disappear. We got all sorts of resources resources Resources. What is in abundant supply is information. Information, insight, abundant. What is scarce? What is rare? What is so valuable is um, interventions that will alter behavior. Mm. So you can imagine every time I come to a radio microphone, to a TV camera, to a live audience, what I'm trying to do is crawl through that microphone cable. And it's a bit of a tight fit, if you know what I mean. <laughs> COVID. Crawl through that COVID, COVID belly <laughs> to come into our listeners' living rooms, to our, their cars, to their homes, appropriately, of course, um, and, and, and encourage them to take action because this is about behavior, it's not about knowledge. We call it Financial Literacy Month. It's not about knowledge; it's about behavior. And this week, the behavior that we're focused on is managing debt just a little bit better. When the kids ask who that is in the corner, I'll say, "Hey, kids, that's just Bruce. <laughs> it's he crawls Uncle- through." <laughs> Uncle through <laughs> Bruce, do still
1: mind yeah. him. Uh, but uh, thank yeah. you, thank you so
0: much <laughs> for your time, and we, uh, you know, uh, very much looking forward to the next couple of weeks as we put a cap on Financial Literacy Month at the end of November.
5: Uh, thanks so much, Bruce. You're welcome. And Andrew, you got to refill the snacks because when I come for your, to your house, I need more and better snacks. We'll
0: work on that for That's far. what your wife told him Absolutely.
3: anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
0: Bye-bye. That is Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada. Online, as you mentioned, creditcanada.com slash FLM for Financial Liter- Literacy Month. And you can find him on social media at Bruce Celery with an S.